Welcome to Reinventing You. I'm your host, Danielle Silverman. I believe that in today's world of ever-constant evolution, the only career change that matters is when what you do matches who you are and what you believe. This show is where you'll learn how embracing change and reinventing yourself will help you navigate any disruptions and lead a life of happiness and fulfillment, especially in this ever-changing world. Your purpose and your meaning will drive your personal transformation. As I like to say, it's your vision, your life. Be passionate about it. Reinventing You starts now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Reinventing You. I'm your host, Danielle Silverman. Reinventing You is a show about what it means to pursue a career and a life that corresponds to who you are, to help you find your purpose and to live it. As I continue to talk about these issues and to research what's going on in the world, it's clear to me that the whole subject is really quite complex. New things are popping up every day. I started this podcast at a time when we were facing the great resignation and quiet quitting. And just a few days ago, I came across an article I talk, that talked about quiet firing. So here's a quick recap. The great resignation is when there's a higher than usual number of employees that voluntarily leave their jobs. Uh, we're, that started taking place in the middle of the pandemic, 2020, 2021, and we're still talking about it. But what has become even more prominent is talk about quiet quitting. This is where employees are staying in their jobs, but doing the absolute minimum that is required of them. It's the psychological withdrawal of an employee from their organization, resulting from not being engaged in their work or having poor work-life balance. So the employee doesn't actually leave the organization, but they're no longer giving their best efforts. And according to Gallup, to the Gallup organization, quiet quitters make up at least 50% of the U.S. workforce. Think about that. It's huge. And now what I'm hearing is talk about quiet firing. Quiet firing uh, describes how managers fail to provide adequate coaching, adequate support, and career development to an employee, which results in effect, in pushing the employee out of the organization. So think about it. If you've ever been in a work situation where the environment was toxic or where you've had really miserable experiences, it's possible it was as a, as a result of a manager trying to have you leave the organization of your own accord. It avoided the difficult conversation they weren't willing to have with you. The sad thing is this is not a new practice. It's been going on for many, many years. I myself have been subject to toxic environments and situations where managers and even coworkers were mean, disruptive, sometimes even downright bullies. And some of those situations actually did make me leave the company I was working in. But I think what we're seeing more of these days is the absent manager. Um, the manager who's, or the leader who's well-intentioned, but they aren't helping their employees perform because they neglect to coach them. They neglect to help them develop in their careers or to foster some sort of long-term career progression. They neglect to provide room for them to grow, and they also often neglect to appreciate their contributions. Um, sometimes they overload them with work. 
They don't listen to their concerns. They don't give them enough direction. Or sometimes they may even be inconsistent with their expectations, saying one day you need to do this, the next day uh, saying something completely different. Um, Another thing they do is make their own needs a, a priority. They're too distracted sometimes by organizational politics than they are engaged in building their team. Let's play devil's advocate for a moment. Let's say that the leader or manager in this case uh, is herself or, or himself overloaded and cannot see a way through helping others because she's just too worried about her own job. If that's the case, it really is time for that leader to stop. Just stop what you're doing. Because in the long term, it doesn't just cause a problem for your team. It also causes a problem for the organization. And that ultimately causes a problem for you. If your team is not productive, it will reflect on you, the leader. And let's face it, at this point, the leader is most likely also quiet quitting. As I said, most leaders are well-intentioned and want to help, but they can't see their way out of the quagmire that this rapidly changing world has brought upon us. Organizations are slow to adapt. And with the VUCA conditions of recent years, for those who don't know, VUCA stands for Volatile, Uncertain, Complex, and Ambiguous. These conditions, uh, organizational adaptation is absolutely essential. In fact, it's a survival mechanism. The ability to adapt to these conditions is essential for survival. But unfortunately, there's all kinds of things that come into play. Resources like the response time um, to get back to customers, for example, the available talent pool, um, operating cash, all of these things may be limited. Add to that that the pressure is on everyone to perform at their highest levels because much is riding on their success. So gifted, busy professionals, the leaders of the organization, usually one or two levels down beneath the CEO, have been hired because of their expertise. But they now find themselves managing teams that suck their time. Or they find themselves mired in endless and ineffective executive team meetings, trying to address institution-wide problems with which they may not have direct expertise. Or they find themselves collaborating with other departments to get big things done, but they're finding it difficult and draining. The way I see it, there are three main issues that create these difficult situations. One is uh, that there is um, a shared mindset of negativity and see, and problems, seeing the glass half empty. Uh, and it really is a mindset. It's it's not, you know, oh, today I'll, I think I'll look at things good. The more they are, these leaders are involved in these difficult situations, the more they see difficulty. It's a question of um, what you 
put focus on is what will grow. And that is the truth. Whatever you put your attention on is what will grow. So if you continue to see the world or to see the issues that confront you as being negative, as being a problem, then you will continue to be surrounded by negativity and by problems. Another thing that creates a difficult situation is opposing views, opposing perspectives of why things are not working and what to do about them. So there's some, there are conflicts in the organization and sometimes those opposing views are immovable. People will not move from their own uh, views. They're, they're, they stand ground and say, no, this is how I do it. No, this is how I do it. No, this is how I think it should be done. No, this is how I think it should be done. And as a consequence, uh, another issue is that the leaders start to feel powerless to affect any real change. And as a consequence, they're overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed by a constant diet of problems and roadblocks. There's more and more demand on self and on others. And this sometimes uh, has leaders thinking that maybe the easier way is just to say, oh, I'll do it myself. Which is really is just another way of saying, I am the hero. I'm going to come and save you all because I will do it and because it will be faster. But I think we all know what that leads to. It leads to burnout. I couldn't find any indication uh, in some of my research that leaders themselves are quiet quitting, but there is large evidence that more and more leaders are suffering from burnout, which in itself makes them unable to perform, in effect, quiet quitting. And it also leads to very high levels of frustration and a fractured team morale. Most progress is incremental. Whenever there is some movement, it's small. So it often feels like you're living some sort of treadmill, you know, constantly going over the same thing, like, like a groundhog day. And a lot of these, even if they're improvements, they're so incremental that they, they don't appear to move the needle on any of the organizational priorities. So we're sort of stuck here in the middle. And, you know, we're, we're, we're damned if we do and we're damned if we don't. But we do have a choice. You have a choice as a leader, as an employee and a leader. You have a choice of what you see, what you study, and how you'll intervene. And if you do so, you can pave the way for everybody, everyone in the organization to willingly make their best contribution to big things that really matter. So here are some of the things you can do, in particular with your team. You can routinely discuss goal process and give performance feedback. Uh, it's very clear that when employees receive meaningful feedback, at least weekly, they're nearly half as likely 
they're not nearly half as likely to be watching for a new job. In other words, just and sometimes just the mere fact of talking to an employee is enough to keep them engaged. But people also need to know what's expected of them at work and how they're progressing. So routinely setting the right goals, but then adjusting them as needed and achieving the desired results is the foundation of an effective performance management strategy. It's not a once a year or twice a year, uh, done it kind of thing. Um, because if you do that without this weekly or this actually regular feedback of sorts, any kind of feedback really, except negative feedback, employees will lose their ability to focus and they won't put in as much effort. They won't have a firm understanding of what the leader thinks about their performance or what the requirements of the role are. I think, I mean, I believe that at the height of the pandemic, many organizations stopped requiring employees to set goals or to stay accountable to them. And this should have been a sign that important management practices were slipping and employee engagement was in danger. Goals were being set haphazardly and infrequently, and so they didn't feel relevant. In fact, they greatly disrupted the work that was being done because they were not relevant. Um, and they certainly didn't feel relevant in today's changing marketplace. When goals don't feel important or meaningful, or if they simply get revisited more, if they don't get revisited more than once a year, well, employees will check out. And on top of that, when leaders fail to have those frequent, meaningful conversations, it leaves employees wondering how they're doing. They also miss important opportunities to celebrate successes, even the smallest ones. Those are just as important as big wins. They miss opportunities to adjust their priorities and provide the support that's needed to help employees succeed. Uh, employees who've had at least one meaningful conversation each week with their manager are nearly four times as likely to be engaged at work. Think about that. We're not talking about a performance review. We're talking about a simple conversation, but a meaningful conversation. Four times as likely to be engaged at work. And as I said, not all conversations have to be about performance goals. Just talking to a member about their current priorities, providing ongoing coaching, and there are organizations out there, you know, coaching is a, is a skill. Coaching is an art and a science. And a lot of leaders, a lot of managers really don't know how to coach. But more and more organizations are leaning towards a coaching um, culture, if I want to call it that, uh, to 
talk about exactly, to do exactly what I've been talking about, which is keeping those employees engaged, having those coaching conversations, and connect daily, not just with their goals, but with the person. It's important to make sure that your team members understand that you fully support them in achieving their objectives. So, for example, you can show you care by ensuring that they have the proper resources and partnerships to reach their immediate goals. And goals, by the way, goals are something that shouldn't be one specific point or one specific number if it's a financial goal. It should be a range. Because as soon as you pinpoint one number and you don't reach that number, then you failed. But if you give yourself a range as a goal and you don't reach the maximum level, but you've, you're there in, in between in that range, then you've still accomplished something and you have, you have more energy and more engagement to continue. The other thing about goals is that um, you have to constantly revisit them because if you don't reach those goals, that might tell you that there's something wrong with what you're doing. And so it's important to go back and look at the process. What have we been doing? Why weren't we able to reach the goals, even if it was a range? Because when we go back and we revisit, we say, oh, wait, we did something different here. Maybe we shouldn't do that anymore. Let's try it a different way. And that's what we call the adaptation. That's what we call the reinvention process. It's about really looking at what we what we have done with a magnifying glass and keep it in short periods of time so that you can go back and see what has worked and what hasn't worked. Keep what has worked. We're not talking about throwing everything out. Adaptation is about understanding what is working and what we need to change in order to keep up. The other thing I think the leader can do with their team members is to discuss their development with them. So I think in uncertain times, it's it's perfectly natural to pull back from talking about the future. We don't know what's going to happen in six months, let alone in the next few years. You know, uh, uh, strategic plans that you know say you know we're going to be here in five years no longer work. We don't know what's going to be happening in five years. Um, but there is research that has consistently shown that how you feel about your professional development and your future in the organization greatly influences your likelihood of staying. So if you do talk with people about their future plans or what they think they would like to do or what they are doing well and how they are enjoying those things. I, I remember when I was a manager, uh, it was very clear that some people were really good at certain things and they really enjoyed them and other people enjoyed other things. And putting those people into roles where they are doing what they enjoy and what they're good at not only increases productivity, it increases their leveling of engagement. And so I repeat, employees who have had at least one meaningful conversation each week with their managers are 
nearly four times as likely to be engaged in their work. The problem is that employees sometimes expect leaders to provide a perfect roadmap for their careers. This is the way we think you should go. And managers, on the other hand, expect their employees to tell them exactly what they want in the future. And it gets even trickier when you try to align uh, the, the team members' capabilities and experiences with the potential opportunities that might be available to them. Everyone needs a plan for development and for advancement, and it needs to be individualized to them. But we start by getting a feel for what an employee's aspirations are and what their strengths are. And from there, you have a constructive discussion. What are the developmental options that will help an employee excel in, their, in his or her job based on their goals, based on future growth opportunities, what will help them progress in their careers? Now, I know that in today's world, and, and you know as well that in today's world, uh, employees will not stay for 30 years the way they used to. They won't stay for 15 or 10 years. Uh, mostly they'll stay for two or three, and a few will also stay for more than that. And I think it's important to recognize that that's okay. And even if they're with you on your team for only a year and a half or two years, and they want to move to another team but within the same organization, that's okay too. You have to recognize that they need to grow, they need to learn. And they will take that learning and apply it just as well somewhere else. So it's not about holding people back, excuse me, holding people back either. Another thing um, that I think is important is that managers don't necessarily give enough individualized recognition. So recognition is needs to be timely. Uh, and it's very easy to miss or forget that. Um, I know many organizations that rely very heavily on events and traditions, you know, awards, certificates, ceremonies at the end of the year, barbecue in the summer, annual uh, uh, awards, quarterly recognition. Um, but it, that happens if it's annual or even quarterly. It happens a long time after people have forgotten what they've done, which is the same thing as what happens with an annual performance review. People forgot what they've done throughout the year. So these events, these recognition events are important. Uh, it, it need, you need to have, to create a culture of recognition, but they're not necessarily the best psychological motivator for daily performance. The most powerful recognition is timely. It's specific and it's authentic. Most of the praise you give employees can happen during your weekly meaningful conversations and during more formal discussions. Outside of meeting with employees, look for opportunities to send a thank you note, to include teammates in the recognition emails. Don't underestimate the value of a thank you 
or a high five or a congratulatory, congratulatory, that's a difficult word too, comment in the hallway. Now, today being in the hallway is not necessarily always the case. You're doing hybrid, you're doing remote work. There are ways of doing it as well in a team meeting, but in an email where you're copying teammates. Um, there are ways to do it. The issue sometimes is you'll find that when an employee is struggling, when they're not necessarily performing at their best, you might find it hard to find things to praise. But this is a great time for you as a leader to identify what the smaller wins are and to give some informal recognition in order to lead employees back to a higher performance. Bottom line, though, I think that this is a two-way street. You need to create shared accountability. So ask yourself, do you actively involve team members in setting their goals? What are the commitments that employees are making and who takes ownership of them? How is everyone creating a culture of recognition? Not just you recognizing employees. Do they recognize their peers? When they start, when employees start routinely recognizing each other outside of scheduled meetings or events, you know you have an authentic culture of recognition. So most managers are likely withdrawing their support and effort too soon in the process. You start doing it for a little bit and then, okay, it's done. That's it. But the best test is whether your team believes they're getting enough support to take full ownership of their performance and their development. Some managers are ready to change their habits. They just need a little training and occasional reminders to be more intentional about having frequent, consistent conversations that cut to the heart of getting work done and helping team members progress in their, their uh, careers. Um, unfortunately, too often, managers are less engaged than their team members. Um, more studies recently found out that managers were feeling more burned out at work than the individual contributors they lead. I said this before, and I will say it again. Instead of these team leaders lifting up the team members, uh, their followers are finding ways to succeed despite working for managers who are themselves struggling to balance their own responsibilities. So the world of work is not going to get easier anytime soon. For many, being a leader has already been further complicated by the workforce's unprecedented shift to remote and hybrid work. Uh, and many managers are learning how to lead that remote and hybrid work for the first time. And few are receiving training that they need. They need more support than ever going forward. This is where executive leadership needs to step in. If your team leaders are quiet quitting, disengaging from their roles, the effects spread to their team and to the whole organization. When your managers, when your leaders are not helping employees progress in their jobs, they are in effect escorting them out of the organization. The answer to quiet quitting and employee and leader burnout is a lot more complex than all of this. I believe that fundamentally it has to do with the organization's culture. 
More on this when we come back. You're listening to Reinventing You on Transformation Talk Radio with your host, Danielle Silverman. It is time to get inspired to take action in your life. Tune in to know you're crazy. 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 With me, Susan Denae, we are identifying, understanding, and treating our crazy one episode at a time. We all have crazy in our lives. The thing that sets us apart is how we deal with it. And I've got you covered. Enjoy your journey. You are worth it. Visit SusanDenae.com. That's D-E-N-E-E.com. Tune in to the hit show, Us, Critical Conversations on the Challenges of Our Time, with me, Dr. Krista Lee Crane, on TransformationTalkRadio.com, every fourth Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific. Listen while we focus on the intersections of truth and justice as we learn how to coexist, pushing our social transformation to the next level. Become true stewards of the justice that is needed in our world. Learn more at PreventionAgenda.org. That's PreventionAgenda.org. Welcome back to Reinventing You, where we talk about what it means to reinvent your career. What we're learning now is that it's no longer the matter of one individual wanting to change and lead a different life. Well, it still is in some cases, but I believe we have to look at the situation as a whole. If we're going to reinvent ourselves, we also need to reinvent the way organizations see themselves, the way they project themselves, and the way they function. If 50% of the U.S. workforce is quiet quitting and more more and more managers and leaders are going through burnout, that tells us that this is not a unique situation. It's happening across the board in a majority of organizations. And I also want to emphasize that this is not a new problem. It's been happening for many decades. We're talking more about it now because the workforce has changed and the world has changed. The pandemic has given people pause to think about what they want out of life. And the younger generation in particular is very aware of the fact that they do not want to be a slave to their career. And this in turn places a demand on the part of the organization to live up to expectations. In one of my earlier podcasts, I talked about the psychological contract at work. Well, this is becoming even more important than ever. In the wake of the great resignation, many workplaces are rethinking their employee value proposition and making promises, saying that they prioritize and they promote well-being and implement new employee assistance programs. That's fantastic. These promises do bring renewed hope and optimism and the ability for organizations to hire the talent they need. But here's the rub. What happens when those promises don't live up to expectation? Employees become discouraged and disillusioned. And the whole cycle, i.e. resignations, quiet quitting, burnout, the whole cycle starts again. It 
there's an expression that I think is really overused often because it's used in, in a way that's not genuine. But I will use it here because there has never, ever been a more important time than now to walk the talk. There cannot be misalignment between what you promise and what you deliver. You cannot, for example, tout customer satisfaction and then tell your customers you can't accommodate their needs because you've always conducted business a certain way and you're not willing to change that way of working. That's just paying lip service to your promise of putting customer satisfaction first. The result is you will lose customers to competitors who are willing to fill their needs. Well, it's the exact same thing with employees, including the leaders. So many organizations talk about their values, put them up on the walls of their offices for everyone to see, explain them in great detail on their corporate websites, and still they often struggle to deliver on them. What they say is one thing, but what they do is another. Reminds me of the days when I worked in corporate and the leadership team would say to us, we're a family. I guess my definition of family was very different. The organization has a brand that they're, rep they're presenting to the world. And this brand is what attracts the right kind of people to buy from them and to work from them. The reason people leave is that their experience of that brand is different from their expectations and from what was promised. The brand will attract the best and get the best out of people only when it is authentic. When it represents the reality of what is going on and when employees experience it day to day. When you have one bad apple, the entire corporate culture suffers. And that's when there's a rift between experience and reality. And it's extremely difficult to control that. Think of the bully at work. This person runs havoc in the organization by belittling team members, even going so far as to make some people cry. Yet the organization will not lift a finger because the bully is following company protocol to the letter and producing results based on numbers. At the same time, this very same organization talks about making a difference in people's lives. In essence, touting the fact that they care about people. Do you see the disconnect? You know, that also reminds me of uh, what's going on in, in the U.S. with uh, George Santos, who's Republican. Uh, um, I, I, I don't mean to talk politics. It's just this guy who has lied on his CV and made himself, you know, presented to himself as having all these attributes that were later discovered were not true. And yet the Republican Party is not kicking him out because there, there is some advantage in keeping him there. It's not about politics. It's just saying that there is a difference between the values that you claim to uh, tout, claim to believe in, and then what you actually do. At its most extreme, a dysfunctional culture eats away at your customer base because they lose trust in your brand promise. Or 
they no longer share it with friends. And that also eats away at your talent as employees continuous to fail you to fail to see the purpose of their daily work. There are warning signs that these things are going on. One is an eroding identity in the marketplace and within the organization. Another is uh, declining uh, customer engagement that you see from feedback that you receive from customers. And another is the inability to attract world-class talent. But you might also have difficulty driving organic growth based on customer-employee interactions, or many of your leadership initiatives might just be stalling out. So bear in mind that a compelling employee value proposition may get talent in the door, but the only way to engage and retain employees is with a culture and employee experience that consistently, consistently reflect brand promises. Your culture is either delivering on your promises or creating quiet quitters. Good company culture doesn't happen by accident. It's designed and nurtured by leaders who learn how to improve company culture and who work consistently to drive change. Why? Because culture attracts world-class talent to the organization. Culture creates alignment. Culture helps focus employees and keeps them engaged. Culture affects performance. So organizations need to ask themselves, are we delivering and can we deliver on what we promise? Bearing in mind that what employees want and expect from a workplace has changed over time. Today, people are seeing that life is more than just their job. They want their work to matter. They crave work that does good and is part of a global solution. And they want a workplace that offers the opportunity to use their strengths and to promote a higher purpose. They're most engaged in a mission-driven workplace that's taking visible, credible action to do good and make the world a better place. If there's a misalignment, between your culture and what your employer brand has promised, employees either leave the organization or quietly do the bare minimum. I'm repeating myself deliberately. Another thing to ask yourself is, are we tracking and measuring our culture? Yes, believe it or not, you can measure culture. Uh, you wanna make sure that the messages that you convey get through to your people. Culture is something dynamic. It feels like a moving target. And sometimes it's hard to define. And it's, that's why it's important to have regular reviews and regular engagement surveys, not just once a year, because we've learned that things change so fast that one year is too long a time to wait before having to make a change. We need to ask specific questions that are both quantitative and qualitative that will give us the metrics to fully comprehend employees' experiences and beliefs. What factors motivate Peter, people to stay? What key moments convince people this is the right workplace for them? What are the most common experiences that push people away? Remember that a strong culture and employee experience are honest, inspiring, and consistent with a compelling employer brand. In other words, your workplace is inside 
your culture and employees' experiences must match its outside, what your brand promises. Another question to ask is, are we doing the work required to change? Because we have to change. To stop quiet quitting, leaders need to take concrete, consistent actions to ensure their culture does what it says it will do. Workplace culture should be a priority every day, and this starts with the leaders. Leaders and managers who are vital to building a compelling culture because they structure how work gets done. They interact with employees regularly and shape people's day-to-day experiences with each other. Managers influence how employees consistently experience their work culture. And to do this well, they need development. You need to invest in your manager's development, and they need leaders who support them. Without great managers who bring your desired culture to life, your employees could very well become quiet quitters. And while this quiet quitting may seem like a threat, it's undoubtedly a problem, but it is fixable. And the answer is your culture. It doesn't need to be perfect, but to attract the best and keep talent from quiet quitting, your promises must match the reality of your culture. In fact, a brand that honestly endorses its imperfections and shortcomings is better than a brand who tries to be more than it truly is. A workplace that is upfront with employees, even about what isn't ideal, can keep high performers better than one that seems disingenuous to workers. There's another misconception out there that being in the office is what creates culture. But the culture efforts that organizations have tried to make over the years have not really created the results they desired. Culture, as I said, is a very delicate and complicated concept to grasp. The slightest disruption, the slightest bad egg in the mixture, or a constant change in leadership structure, all of these affect culture. This all comes back to being able to handle change. And it also comes back to understanding that we are living in a volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world. And that we have to monitor every single thing that goes on within the organization in order to not only stay competitive, but to continue to thrive. And this requires a complete mind shift on the part of leaders. Culture is not the only thing that matters. There are other things that require a complete mind shift as well. And in fact, this is a critical element as we look more deeply at career reinvention, which is, you know, my bailiwick. When you're thinking about what you want to do with your career, there are so many things to take into consideration. High among them is having a deep understanding of yourself, your own values, and your own needs. Potential employees, the potential leaders of your organization, future leaders of your organization, will be looking for what is the right fit for them. Organizations need to understand that today, top talent is interviewing them, not the other way around. A report came out just at the end of last month from McKinsey. They interviewed more than 100 chief human resources officers and people leaders to find out how the HR operating model is changing to drive value 
in a volatile business environment. In that article, they recognized eight innovation shifts driving the new HR operating model. Chief among them was the need to excel with regards to the employee experience, bringing particular attention to supporting employee health and resilience. Hello, why is this something that is suddenly new? Why is it being called innovation? Isn't it rather basic? And doesn't it tell you a lot about how behind organizations are and what they need to do to be able to attract the right talent? I repeat, top talent is doing the interviewing, not the other way around. On the positive side, it's comforting to think that this is now gathering the attention it deserves. It's just sad that it took a pandemic and a volatile environment to make this happen. Now let's see how effective organizations will be at implementing something like this and sticking with it. There were several other innovation shifts McKinsey identified. I'll spare you the details. You, you can read the article from McKinsey dated December 22nd, 2022, HR's new operating model. I truly believe that the most important thing is not to create new and innovative ways of working for the sake of creating them or in reaction to whatever is going on, but to constantly and consistently revisit the processes in order to ensure that you are still succeeding and to be able to let go of those that are not working. Benjamin Franklin said, change is the only constant in life. One's ability to adapt to those changes will determine your success in life. And closer to our generation, management guru Peter Drucker said, during periods of discontinuous abrupt change, the essence of adaptation involves a keen sensitivity to what should be abandoned, not what should be changed or introduced a willingness to depart from the familiar has distinct survival value. In other words, when people say, oh, we've always done it this way, so therefore, and or don't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, that's a red flag. Right there. Because of this, there was one item that caught my eye in the McKinsey article about the new HR operating model. HR is now talking about adopting agile principles to help, among other things, to help ensure swift reallocation of resources when needed, uh, enabling a, a fundamentally faster rate of change in the business and with people and how they work. So agile is not a new concept. It's been used in manufacturing and in project management for years. But it's interesting to see it being applied to human resources. Perhaps that's a signal that things are truly changing. Only time will tell. It's clear that Agile has many benefits, not the least of which is the ability to quickly change in order to meet the needs of the market, both customers and employees alike. The other item in this article that I wanted to put emphasis on was the growing importance of artificial intelligence in human resources. AI has been found to be useful in mapping talent needs, 
in keeping talent engaged and happy. Most HR departments, in fact, probably all of them, are using artificial intelligence to attract new talent. Uh, Few people beyond those who have worked with career counselors because they lost their jobs are aware of the fact that companies use what is known as an applicant tracking system to identify potential candidates. What's an applicant tracking system? When you um, submit your CV or your resume, as it's called in the US, uh, online, it goes through an ATS, an applicant tracking system. And what that applicant tracking system does, it's programmed, and by the way, there's more than one, it's programmed to read certain keywords. So it will look for those keywords, and those keywords are generally what is in the job posting. Could be in the job posting, sometimes it's not in the job posting, sometimes it's in the the mind, the wishful thinking of the hiring manager. But the bottom line is this artificial intelligence is programmed to read or to look for certain words in the CV. So what happens if those words are not in your CV? They will be automatically rejected. You might be the perfect candidate for the job. You read the job description and said, wow, that's me. But if you don't have the key words in your CV, you'll never make it to the, to the hiring manager. You'll never make it to HR, let alone the hiring manager. My point is that if all of these things work well, whether it's agile or AI or anything else, there are many things to take into consideration. First among them is to understand that no manner of implementation will work unless organizations realize that they must create a radically different culture and set radically different organizational goals. They also need to empower leaders to both build and take part in a culture of shared accountability. And senior leadership needs to buy into the process, into this process, in order for it to succeed. It has to come from the top. And it's an issue when the top leadership keeps changing. A different person comes in, a different mentality, therefore a different culture. So we have to be able to move with those times as well. Are you beginning to understand the complexity of culture? It really is very dependent on human beings. Senior leadership needs to buy into the process in order for it to succeed. And there is also a need to recognize that traditional ways of doing things don't work. So for example, planning and budgeting uh, in the traditional way, year-long plans no longer work in the agile world. Uh, It's also important to establish objectives that are aligned and shared in a sustainable way throughout the organization. You know, it's almost like what we call the broken telephone. Or objectives start at one way and then they're trickled down through all the layers. And by the time they get to the uh, to the team level, the objectives are very different from what they were originally. 
they're not, it's not intended to be like that, but they're broken down into such small pieces that they turn out to be different. Whereas if we know what the objectives are from a higher level, we, if we see the bigger picture, we might be able to help at the micro level. It's important to keep those two things in mind. And also to progress, to see how the objectives are, are tracked, not just financially, but in an, in an environment that welcomes innovation, that welcomes reinvention, where people feel free to speak up, free to make mistakes and to learn from them. It's the only way to learn. It's the only way to adapt. There is no such thing, no longer such thing as perfection in today's world. We don't have time for perfection in order to get to, to market. What we do is we learn from our mistakes and we learn faster and faster and faster. We also no longer live in a world where one voice, one opinion, or one person knows it all. Things are too complex and too volatile. So we have to foster a different mindset that includes trust. Trust in self, trust in others. Leaders can actively contribute to reinventing their own careers by shifting their mindset by understanding that they're acting on behalf of something bigger than themselves. Instead of being wrapped up in their own needs or the politics of the organization and thus quiet firing, or being themselves victims of this kind of culture and ending up as quiet quitters, they can recognize that they have the choice to lead and serve effectively. If you view each person, whether it's employed staff, manager, leader, as someone who desires more than anything else to contribute the best of who they are to something bigger and more important than themselves, then we approach our relationship, our development and support of these people very differently. In my next podcast, my very special guest, Gary Hubble, makes this the essence of his work. Gary's passion is to specifically help leaders achieve this all-important mindset shift, to lead from wherever they are, with attention to and intention of service and a curious mind. I leave you with one of the fundamental principles of reinvention, which is that learning doesn't come from experience. It comes from reflecting on our experience. Learning doesn't come from experience. It comes from reflecting on our experience. This is Danielle Silverman on Reinventing You, where we make it our mission to have people find work that matches who they are so that they can live a happier and more fulfilled life that will bring meaning to the world. Until then, until next time, I am, as always, yours in reinvention. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Reinventing You with me, your host, Danielle Silverman. Tune in on the second and fourth Monday each month at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Join me and feel inspired and optimistic about your future. We only get one life, so embrace change and thrive with me. Find work that aligns best with your soul and what you enjoy. For more information, go to reinventingyou.com.